Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 is underway. Friday edition on the eve of college football week zero. A lot to get to today. We have... Austin Price, who will preview game week in Knoxville as the SEC will kick off officially tomorrow with Vanderbilt and Hawaii. Austin Price later in today's show. We will detail all things Tennessee as they're next out of the gate for the SEC, Tennessee and Missouri. Bobby Carpenter joins us in 20 minutes. We will go headfirst into the Aaron Donald helmet swing, among other things, and talk some college football headlines there as well. And in between, a spotlight on Kentucky. Chad's got a sports TV recommendation for us. We'll talk a little Major League Baseball and game week. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Fired up, ready to go. I give this pep talk almost every week, but I mean it every week. We're not going to limp into the weekend, boys. We're going to go sprinting across the finish line, and this is going to be a great show today. It's also going to be a great show because it's the final show with one Jakob Swanson that we'll get into in the final segment today, uh, who was with us in the very beginning of OutKick 360. So we will bid him adieu in the proper fashion. Unfortunately, because of FCC regulations, we can't bid him adieu in the fashion that he would prefer. That doesn't make it proper, then. A tinge tinge of sadness (laughs) and sentimentality laced throughout the show, but uh, we'll we'll treat him right off the air, for sure. Uh, Maybe the NCAA took note of who was filing for Brew McCoy to become immediately eligible because the NCAA has ruled that Brew McCoy is immediately eligible for the Tennessee Volunteers, a transfer from Southern Cal. And uh, made note of it earlier this week. If they are now the poster child for how, how to handle an internal investigation on behalf of the NCAA, they should get skip-the-line privileges instead of waiting in line for the NCAA to get to their paperwork. And within days... The NCAA has ruled that he can play immediately for Tennessee. Uh, now in the middle of game week, they kick off on Thursday. He's starting. We had Brent Hubbs on last week and said, what does this mean for Tennessee's offense? He said he would be starting within the offense. That's the magnitude of, of, of this ruling. And now they know well in advance of kickoff that he can play in Tennessee. I hope USC doesn't get off the hook for its uh, dragging its feet or not doing what it could have done to make, make all of this move because it didn't handle itself very well through this. Yeah, it's, it's very odd, USC's lack of action with all of this. They kind of do get off the hook because he's, it's fine, all's well that ends well. Tennessee's practiced with him like he's going to be eligible, and now six days from kickoff, he's eligible, so he's going to start in this game. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a very weird decision for USC with a brand new coach in Lincoln Riley. You got this shiny new toy that you brought over from Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley has no prior relationship with Brew McCoy, did not coach him at USC. The guy wants to go somewhere else. At one point, he transferred to Texas and then immediately came right back to USC. 
Now he wants to go somewhere else to start his career with a new coach coming in. I don't know why USC cared so much. They, they look Patty. small. It just made them look small. And USC's not small under Lincoln Riley. And this was kind of a small-time move by them where, I mean, if it's just, hey, yeah, sign this for us so he can go ahead and be eligible enough to go down this process. And Hutton, to your point, I do think that Danny White probably picked up the phone and called everybody at the NCAA and said, look, we played ball with you. We spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees to uncover things for you. We turned over more than half of the violations you found. We gave them to you. Can you please review this document and make this kid eligible so we can go about our business? And they said, sure. Yeah, we'll do that for you. And it got done this quick. And they get it done before the weekend. Of course, Tennessee plays Ball State on Thursday night in Knoxville. We'll be broadcasting live next Thursday for the kickoff of week one of college football. Vanderbilt in Hawaii will uh, end week zero for us late tomorrow night. Plenty of NFL preseason discussion as well as we wrap up week three there. Um, uh, other SEC headlines, Auburn Athletic Director Alan Green is stepping down. His contract expires in January of next year. And they were working. There was talks of a contract extension. That never happened. Uh, he released a statement today saying he is stepping away uh, to attend to other things professionally, which means Auburn didn't want to extend him on the contract. Odd timing. This is not good news. Uh, more bad news, I would say, for Brian Harson because Alan Green is the one who vouched for Brian Harson whenever they, they hired him. And now you'll have someone, at least in the interim role, and now the the likelihood is the same people that wanted Harson out back in February will be hand-selecting the new athletic director on the planes. And the new athletic director will want to hand-select a new football coach who's got the support of these boosters who weren't particularly supportive of him during this inquiry. It, well, it makes Harson. things less awkward. There's not going to be this awkward season where it was smart for both sides. Alan Green said, I'm not going to sit through a football season where I know that my hire is going to be picked apart and I'm either going to have to fire a guy after two seasons because of booster pressure or there's going to be this weird divide with a lot of boosters if we have a pretty good season and go 7-5, and five, let's say, that they're going to be saying, oh, well, yeah, he's definitely not going to fire him because this is the guy who brought him in. So he's not going to be able to make the tough decision. So you remove yourself from that and – let the boosters decide on the next AD, and then that AD is going to do what the boosters want, which is what, gentlemen? Fire Brian Harson after what's probably going to be a disappointing season yeah, for Auburn. Those, those same you know, the, the guys who moved the money for Auburn, they didn't want Harson to begin with. This uh, Alan Green, by reports through AL.com and others, you know, they, it's been well documented that Alan Green went against their wishes on head coach and hired Boise State's head coach. Clearly not a fit. That's uh, from the jump. I think there were some weird vibes going on, and whenever they didn't make a move after it was not the best hire uh, with with the way things have gone down, and uh, with the way the inquiry went down in February, the writing's been on the wall. Even at the SEC media days, you could tell just based on the tone, he wants to coach this season, and he's looking for a, a, another place to to bounce off of after after December. But if this was going to happen with the AD. Before the season, it, it just further kind of verifies the whole idea that this season is, is just kind of a tread water deal. And they might as well, while they were questioning the whole thing, 
at the beginning of this year just swept the whole thing out and gone ahead yeah. and gotten it over with because now it's just a and we've said this all off season and and into now it's just a ticking clock so if you're going to have a ticking clock season you might as well have had the regional the thing May- though the thing though they can play the ultimate spoiler role this season because they, it, they're not horrible Auburn's yeah. not a terrible team. No, they've got good talent. They're not Missouri or Vandy on the opposite side of things in the conference, right? Like, we know the teams that are, are, we're predicting to be bad. Auburn, I mean, for who they played last year and considering, you know, their their win total, it's not like they bottomed out despite all the boosters wanting Harson out. Um so, but it's a weird place in that. Oh yeah. In that the expectations are always outrageously big, right? Because they've won a national it's, championship and because they win Iron Bowls periodically, the expectation is always ridiculously high for what is actually realistic. You're talking about a seven and five season that they could have, which would be good for them, for most of us. But people there would would have that and probably find rationale. That they could have been even better than that, which isn't really fair. There has to be such a level of vitriol that it's is fueling that team to to overcome all the negativity where it is just power boosted by the fact that they are pissed off at the world and that somehow Brian Harson has united them behind this idea that they've been wrong, which they, they kind of have been, and he has been to an extent, because they do have talent. But even with that talent, I look at that schedule and the, the division they're in, they're still not as talented as pretty much everyone on their schedule. In the SEC West, um, you know, Penn State coming to Auburn is a, is a nice chance early on to prove something if you're Brian Harson. but I just don't see it with that team. Let me throw One out... One of the three worst jobs in America in terms of the constant expectations being un, unreasonable... Like, to me, it's a job where you can cycle every four, five, six years to be a, a super contender, but the, the fan base and the boosters expect you to be right there it's, with Alabama on a regular basis, which are. is not going to I mean, they're not, they're not, they're not on the same scope as Alabama. I Com- mean, competing with Alabama Last year, the game, they led by yes. 10 points in the fourth quarter, and if they win that game, are we talking about Green and Harson being fine? I mean, are we even having this discussion if they hang on in the fourth quarter with five minutes to go? Here's the thing about the job. It was a great job when Mike DeBose and Dennis Franchoni was the coach at Alabama. It's a terrible job when Nick Saban's the coach right. at Alabama. Exactly. But that, that could be said about any, you know, that, that's LSU is a great job. LSU's not as great when Nick, as long as Nick Saban's Alabama. Now multiply that times 20 for the in-state SEC school. So I think it's a great job. It is a national championship caliber Fully engaged athletically, booster, base, campus. I mean, everything about it is centered around football and being successful in football. So I think it's a, you can, you can, yes, you can, obviously we've seen it. You can win a national title there. So it's a top 20 job in America. I know what you're saying, Paul. The, The expectations can get out of whack because if anyone's expectation is to regularly beat Nick Saban, which a lot of people at Auburn, that is what they want then that's just not going to happen. Let me throw out two names. I get what you're saying. They could could hang with them in the Iron Bowl, and it could be a successful season off of that. But I think as soon as you do that, then people want 
the rest of what Alabama has, which oh, is yeah. the, na- the national title, but goes even with the, it, which is hard, com- er, hard to come year, by. Earlier this year, Chad, uh, this, or this week, I should say, uh, Jason Campbell, we had him on. You know, they go unbeaten, and they yeah. don't play for the title. Well, it's funny you bring up Jason Campbell, because I've got another Campbell in mind. I think that in Auburn, if that job comes open, which I think it will, there's going to be a program in the SEC or Big Ten that makes a change that will feast on the uncertainty around the Big 12 and the Pac-12. And here's what I mean by that. Would Matt Campbell get out of Iowa State right now because he's not certain what conference Iowa State's going to be in when all this is done for Auburn? Would Dave Aranda leave Baylor for Auburn as a current member of the Big 12 just to get in the SEC or Big 10 at a job like Auburn? Those are two huge names. If I'm swinging for the fences, that I'm contacting at Auburn if they make a change. Well, Surely they were approached the la- whenever they hired Harson. That may be part of the problem with Alan Green and the problem the boosters have with him. That they didn't, that and also, didn't land one of them? When, this, when they hired Brian Harson, the world had not yet set fire in college sports. NIL had not happened yeah. yet. The Big Ten didn't start adding teams left and right. The SEC didn't announce Texas and Oklahoma at that point. My point is the pool to stay... The pull to leave Pac-12 especially, if you're a coach, if you're a good coach, is going to be at an all-time high. The Big 12 less so because of who they're hiring, but if I want long-term stability in college football, I want to coach in the Big 10 or the SEC. Big story up in Buffalo, Matt Ariza, the punt god, uh, detailed in a civil lawsuit uh, his involvement, alleged involvement in a gang rape while at San Diego State University. Um, while the, uh, the alleged victim, 17 years old at the time, um, the court documents have been released uh, through the national outlets last night. Read through them. Uh, it's, it's not pretty. And uh, now you have to wonder what the Buffalo Bills end up doing. They did release a statement and we'll put this up in just a moment here um, from Mike Girardi. And the statement reads, we were recently made aware of the civil complaint involving Matt from October, 2021. Due to the serious nature of the complaint, we conducted a thorough examination of this matter. At this, as this is an ongoing civil case, we have no other comment at this point. That from the Buffalo Bills through NFL Network yesterday. Um, guys, there is, uh, there are plenty of reasons why you keep a player on your roster, but I do wonder whenever roster cutdowns are made and decisions are made uh, across the league, what they end up doing with Matt Ariza uh, at this exact moment. And there's a because I know he's a draft pick. I know they've already released their other punter because he's that great, but it's hard to believe that they knew every detail of this. Well, and uh, drafted him. Yeah, I, I don't think they did. Well, they said they did. They yeah. said they do about it. <sighs> Well, they said we were recently made aware. I don't know that they knew. That means they knew about it when they drafted him. They, they could have made their, Put that back up, please. Um, on the, the quote, the, the, the wording of this, um, due to the, it, we were recently made aware of the civil complaint, and then it goes on to say, we conducted a thorough examination of this matter. Meaning, they didn't make a move after conducting a thorough examination of this matter. Thorough to me is, is key here. But when you read through the details of the court documents, I mean, I'd, I'd be asking a lot more questions, and I would not want anything to do with a rookie punter coming from San Diego State on my roster as we begin the season. No, I me mean, neither. I mean, this is an ugly, ugly accusation. 
I, I don't really get why there's uh why this is civil and not criminal. Um, cause I mean, everything I've read, there's plenty of cause for, for criminal case. Again, well, they had the, they had her, they, uh, the, the cops had her set up on a wiretap in the reading the documents last night. They quote the, uh, the wiretap where they're like feeding her questions to ask him. But I don't, I don't see why you, uh, I, I mean, if you keep this guy, you're, you're just basically saying, Punting is more important than, than this. You're going to be hounded well, about they it. They don't punt very constantly. often anyway. Yeah, you're going to be hounded about it constantly. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's a cloud over a, a good team. Um, and, and given the climate of the Deshaun Watson stuff and, and all of that, I, I can't see how he could be on the roster very much longer. And he, is, he and his attorney have completely denied it. Um, for for that part of the story too, which is uh, should be noted here, uh, but yeah, it's a civil complaint him he, him and two others from San Diego State um, at the time uh, from 2021. The the name that I immediately thought of last night that makes a ton of sense and why you maybe they make a move today, maybe they don't, but why you wait until roster cuts are made. Um, Brett Kern is from Buffalo, and he is clearly in a punting battle here in Nashville against an undrafted rookie. Well, whichever person and, loses here. Yeah, but, but the connection uh, being from Buffalo um, makes a ton of sense um, if you're just going to go kick for one more year. You know, he's in year 14, I believe. Yeah. So, I, I mean, if Brett Kern loses here, he makes sense there. If Ryan Stonehouse, and if the Titans yeah. keep Kern and turn over Ryan Stonehouse, an undrafted rookie, he's got a big leg that would play well in the weather in, in Buffalo also. So there's going to be at least one good punting option on the market for Buffalo at a time where, as you said, they'd already let go of their second punter. Uh, this is an ugly, ugly scenario, and I can't – God, I mean, if they don't wash their hands of this, it's going to be a story for perpetuity. I don't want to sound crass about it because it's a terrible allegation with all of it, but a punter's not worth this. Oh, I know. yeah, is what I keep coming back to in my mind. If it, you know, Deshaun Watson from a play standpoint is worth a huge level of headache off the field. A star quarterback, a star receiver, an edge rusher that changes a game is worth it. A punter's not worth this off-field incident. Yeah, you're going through the positional importance. I, I just, I mean, I am blown away you, if the the Bills actually knew about this when they drafted him and then cut the other guy and made him the guy that they knew about all this. That's odd to me. Well, if you know about this when you're drafting him, then you're living with the with the with the worry of it coming to light. Well, all I think the time, also, that's no way to operate If they either. knew about this when they drafted him and they, in fact, did a, a, quote, thorough investigation into it and all that, then what they're saying is, we're okay when it comes out that we're just going to keep him. And if he faces suspension, yeah. he faces suspension. That, that's, to me, what well, they're saying. Well, he's not eligible to be suspended under the personal conduct right. policy because this happened before yeah, he came into the league. Um, so they're off the hook in terms of, of discipline from the league. Um, they're not off the hook in terms of discipline from society. <laughs> so if anything happens, yeah, I mean, it, it, because of the, uh, the alleged this took place prior to him being drafted, even if he's disciplined, like, lawfully, 
now that they can't the the NFL would not have any jurisdiction over the personal conduct policy. That's my understanding. So it's no different than Aaron Donald slinging a helmet yesterday. Which still, I I don't. Paul, you were right when you said that because everything I've read is that they they leave it up to the teams in these matters. But I'm just amazed at what the NFL can touch from an off-field standpoint. They can't touch a guy committing assault with a helmet in an actual NFL-sanctioned activity is, is odd to me. But apparently they can't. And I, I will say this. I, I understand people, you know, we compared it yesterday, and, and properly so, to, to what happened on the field in the Pittsburgh-Cleveland game a couple years ago and all of that. I do think, though, if you open the Aaron Donald thing, we're switching subjects now, to league discipline, or if you say that not being open to league discipline creates a scenario where joint practices should be open to league discipline. I, I think, I don't know, I fear a Pandora's box there where all of a sudden then the league starts meddling in stuff that we're not going to want to see it meddling in um, for stuff that's not nowhere near as severe as what we saw with the Aaron Donald thing, which is infrequent. Um, but do we want the league penalizing stuff uh, of a much lesser variety that happens at these at these things i think the answer would be no i think common sense would say that you know uh, the, the usual camp scuffle should not be penalized the league does by not teams. show common sense and enforcement but this was this was an unusual matters. incident in a fight i agree a scuffle but if you open it the league is known to do stupid stuff but also i mean it's going to take video being turned over right. by a team like this is a this is in it was during a close portion of practice and there i mean we would have we have no visual evidence of this if not for a fan recording it this is one that i think the league is just going to i mean if we want to talk about optics the league's going to look bad when everybody sees this and they don't do anything about it and now we've seen it if this happened in a closed door practice where only the team was filming it that video would be erased and we wouldn't right. see it and they would make the guy run whatever in practice and handle it internally or fine him internally, and we'd never know about it. But because they had corporate sponsors in that day, even though it was a closed practice and someone was filming it, it's a bigger issue now. And it's the league's issue, I think. Bobby Carpenter is on deck. He's about to join us, and we'll start there because um, he's seen fights like this break out before. He's seen helmets ripped off and used as a weapon in the middle of a fight. Uh, we'll get his take on what he saw from Aaron Donald and what he expects to see as far as team discipline from the Rams. Uh, that and much more as we are on the eve of college football kicking off. Bobby Carpenter's next on Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. 
Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine, Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Streaming live at Outkick.com. Podcast available wherever you download your audio as well if you miss portions of today's or this week's show. Bobby Carpenter joins us each and every Friday, Sirius XM and many other outlets. Carp 3 is where you can follow him on Twitter. And he joins us on his way somewhere in his car. Bobby, how are you? I'm doing well, man. I uh, apologize. I was finishing up a workout over at Ohio State, trying to get back home, realized time wasn't going to allow, wasn't a good space to do it there. Had a lot of stuff going on. It was kind of loud. So I'm like, you know what? We go hop in the parking lot, hop in the truck, and we'll call it a day. When you go and work out with Ryan Day, how much more do you bench than Ryan Day? Do you have a bench <laughs> off in those in these workouts? Come on, here's the one thing you guys need to realize: like Ryan Day is not like Mike Vrabel and, and uh, Dan Campbell. Like that's those guys, offensive coaches. They're completely different. I guess Dan's the, the tight end, but you know, quarterback guys, they're different. Like I just finished watching episodes two and three of Hard Knocks last night, and you know, it, like it warmed my soul seeing Dan Campbell out there listening to everything he said because it was basically like me listening to Bill Parcells and a version of like the Big Lebowski, you know, mixed together. Throw a little John Rambo in there and you've got it made. But the messaging is like so similar to that. And I guarantee you like Mike Vrabel, very similar to that. It's all the Parcells, Belichick coaching tree, how it works. And the thing with those guys that makes them unique is they're former players. And so they understand it. I think guys probably respect that a little bit more when they know what they've been through. They've told them they've, they've told them they've been through it. We're going to take care of you, but we need to do these things. So there's a lot that obviously goes into it. But, I mean, listening to Dan give those speeches last night, I mean, about the grind and keep your head down, like it was, it was remarkable, man. It almost made me for a second want to be an NFL coach. Who would you take in a fight, Campbell or Vrabel? Here's the thing. Like, both of those guys have been beat up a lot. I would probably have to take uh, Dan just because I feel like he's a little more healthy at this point. <laughs> Mike's beat up pretty good. Um, and Dan still looks big, man. Dan looks like he can still play. He just can't run anymore. Vrabel can run. He does sprint, wind sprints before, uh, before games every Sunday. There is a different level watching Hard Knocks. I'm with you, Bobby. There's a different level of fitness I see. Not that that means a lot when you get into a fight. <laughs> All the time, but there's a different level of fitness. I see a higher level with Campbell as opposed to Vrabel, just, well, just looking at them head-to-head. See, Hutton hit it on the nose, man. The, Mike is a runner, dude. Now, he's tough as hell, but Mike is a runner. He would come back and run me into the ground. Like My goal was to be able to beat him in running and conditioning, and finally I was like able to get that towards the end of his career. But, I mean, Mike is a grinder. The good news for both of those guys is when they're in the fight, you know, they'd probably be late at night, leaving a bar. Both of them would have to ash their cigarette, put down a fifth, 
and maybe scoop out their chew before they fought each other. <laughs> Bobby Carpenter, our guest on Outkick 360. I, uh, I wouldn't take many men over Aaron Donald in a fight, especially if he has a helmet in his hand. Uh, going back throughout your career, uh, with cameras not rolling, or if they were rolling, they were team-operated, how many fights did you see where a guy ripped off a helmet and used it uh, in the middle of a scrum? Uh, I saw my my second or third year when I was in Dallas. We had a joint practice with the Denver Broncos, and you know, for you guys in the SEC, you remember Jarvis Moss, defensive end out of Florida, about six six. He was a rookie, and going against Flozell Adams, who's one of the biggest human beings I've ever seen. And I think Jarvis was trying to get one over on him. Flozell was a phenomenal player, and I watched Flozell. They start getting in a fight. Guys try to pull him apart. Flozell reaches his eight foot arm out there grabs his face mask, tears the helmet off, pulls it back, and then takes it immediately over the top, boom, and just blasts him right on the top of the head. Needless to say, that was the last, it was the second day of practice, and that was the last joint period we had together. Coaches blew it up. Shanahan and Wade Phillips separated everybody. And uh, the last, like, 30 minutes, it was Cowboys on Cowboys, Broncos on Broncos, and that's the way it went. But you have all these fights all the time when you have these joint practices. Occasionally a helmet gets ripped off. Sometimes guys will start swinging them. Everybody wants to get incredibly upset, though, about everything that happened. And the worst part is, like, most of the people that are upset say and suspend them, this and that. Like, you don't hear any of the players saying that. They don't like joint practices because they're so difficult. But there aren't any players out there just saying, he needs to be suspended, he needs this, he needs disciplinary action. And that's what just drives me crazy right now. It's, there's 1,600 players. They've seen this before. They don't like it. They don't like joint practices. But no one's going to sit here and say that Aaron Donald needs to be incarcerated. Well, to your point, um, the, the, those that were retweeting it yesterday as the video was released was like, what do you expect when you have the Super Bowl champion and the team that, that lost to them in a joint practice where Aaron Donald, uh, it was well documented going to that game, uh, some of the trash talk was being uh, against the Bengals' offensive line and how Aaron Donald was going to hold up against them. And they were going at it uh, this go-around and on a day two of a practice. And they canceled, by the way, they canceled it the same way you're talking about. Uh, so it was closer to the end. McVeigh, yeah, yeah. It was towards the end of the practice, but McVeigh just said, uh, we're out of here. Well, I mean, you look at McVeigh, um, you look at Zach Taylor, those guys coach together. Most of the times when you do these joint practices, you know, the coaches, they've coached together before, they know each other well, and so they understand the expectations. Neither one of the coaches is saying, hey, go out there and get in a fight. Just like Dan Campbell, they're saying, hey, don't get in a fight. However, this is the problem, is that the coach will sit there and he'll watch you in practice. And this is why the second day is always worse, because you have to go back out there. Never do you play a doubleheader back-to-back in football where you're playing the next day. So you watch it on film. The coach is giving you crap about this guy finishing you off at the end of the whistle. You know, they're getting you a little late push. And then they're starting to question your man. Look at this guy. Look what he's doing to you. You're just going to let him – you're just going to take that, like – You've got to make sure you own the down. They got to know that we're here. And then what do you expect when you start pushing back and it starts, you know, tempers flare and it's hot and you've been doing that, you're going to naturally have fights. Like that's just the reality. And the coaches say they don't want them, but they want their guys to be aggressive. And so that's like the dichotomy of this is uh, don't fight, but don't get pushed around. But when somebody pushes you around, you're going to stand up. You're going to bow back up against yourself. And that's just what we have. So, Maybe one day they'll eliminate these joint practices, but the coaches like it because you get far more done in these than you actually do in the preseason. Bobby, and I agree with you. None of the players or coaches are calling for any suspension, and they're downplaying it. 
when they talk about it in the media. But if someone was had to miss time because of this, let's say that that helmet slinging connected and knocked someone unconscious and they're out for four or five weeks during the season, do you think then that the reaction would have been different from Zach Taylor and Cincinnati players? Or would they have just said, hey, all's fair in practice. It was a fight. Things got out of hand. We're fine. No suspension needed. It's really a great question. Whereas if someone got hurt as a result of that, Parcells used to tell us, if we broke our hand fighting, he was putting us on the non-football injury list, which means we weren't getting paid, and he was going to find us find you 15 grand conduct detrimental to the team. And so like, that was the thing. Like, hey, you want to get in a scuffle, that's fine. You want to try to throw closed fist punches at a guy with a helmet on, that's on you. You can be an idiot. Now, on the other side of that, if you knocked somebody out or did something, it'll, that would be a really interesting proposition because I'm curious how they would treat that. Like, you miss time, you would probably still get paid. I can't imagine not if you got hit by someone else. I don't think a player would ever char- press charges against another player for something that happened in practice unless they hit him in the back of the head. But remember this. Like, go back to the Steve Smith situation when he was playing in Carolina. And there was a situation like that where I think he did punch a teammate in the back of the head and he had to miss some significant time. Now, I think Steve took care of it financially a little bit and they fined him in Carolina. But, I mean, this stuff isn't unprecedented to happen. Does the weakest member of a conference tell you anything about the conference? If Vanderbilt, perennially the weakest member of the, of the SEC, goes to Hawaii and, and fails there tomorrow night, what, what does that tell you? Does it tell you anything about anything beyond Vanderbilt's perennial problems? I think it means we need to get a uh, Rutgers and Vanderbilt game every year and let those guys play it out, you know, see what happens. Let, let, let's uh, – let the cream rise to the top, if you will. I, I don't think so. Like I look at the relative strength of the conference. You know, obviously you want to have you know a, a good depth, but like, hey, what's the high point of your conference? And then when you start getting down into the meat, the middle of your tier of your teams, and you get to you know teams five, six, seven, maybe eight. Like, how good are they? That's that's really more what I look at. And that's what the SEC's done a pretty good job of. Mostly, yeah, you get the teams at the top, uh, but how good is four, five, six, and seven? And, there's years they've been really good. There's years they've been okay. The Big Ten's had some years where they've been deeper than others. And you know, I, I, But I don't really look at the very bottom and say, hey, this is the worst team in your conference. How, how good are they relative to the other worst teams? I, I hope Vanderbilt wins this game because if they don't, I really have a hard time seeing them winning more than two games and the over-under is two and a half because they're going to have a heck of a hard time beating Wake And they're going to Northern Illinois, who returns, I think, like 15 or 16 starters off a pretty darn good team. And I I just, I can't imagine how rough that would be to have double-digit losses for a team like Vanderbilt in the SEC. So Nebraska has lost six straight games under Scott Frost. Their last win was a 56-7 beatdown over Northwestern a year ago in Lincoln. These two teams meet tomorrow in Dublin, Ireland. Bobby, what do you make of the coaching matchup in this one? Obviously, we all know that Scott Frost is squarely on the hot seat. But looking at Pat Fitzgerald, he is 6-18 and over the past two non-COVID seasons. They had a good year in the COVID year in a shortened season. If he goes 3-9 and again, he's obviously on no hot seat this year. But how many consecutive seasons like that would even Northwestern be willing to put up with with a guy that they love in Fitzgerald? And how important is this game for both him and Scott Frost? I think it's significantly more important for Scott Frost because if they're trying to make a bowl game, this is a game they need to win for that. 
It's a very winnable game for them in Northwestern. It's a chance for them to get off on the right foot. And, you know, if they find a way to lose this thing late, all that they've been preaching in the offseason about, like, finish, finish, finish. Don't shoot ourselves in the foot. Find a way to close out games. That goes out the window because you would have lost the game against a team that you have better talent than, and you found a way to lose it, you know, in a similar fashion if they should lose it by a score like they would always do last year. So far more pivotal pivotal for Scott Frost. Heck, if they got beat by 10 points, I would say there's a chance that he's getting his own ride home from Dublin. Like he might get tarmac fired at that point. So they need to win that to find a way to get to seven wins because they have a really difficult end of their season. And then for, you know, when you look at uh, Fitz up there in Northwestern, he's been three and nine two of the last three seasons, but two of the last four seasons, he's been in the Big Ten championship game. And if you're Northwestern, like that's unprecedented success for them. And so, yeah, three and nine would be bad this year. But if they go five and seven, four and eight, and they're making progress, I think they'll be fine. Now, if he goes three and nine, four years in a row, they may think about moving on. But, you know, they've got those intermittent points in the last two years where they went to the Big Ten championship game. And if you're Northwestern, like, that's about the pinnacle of what you could expect. Maybe you win it one year, but they don't have the same expectations that a lot of other schools do. And Pat's, Pat Fitzgerald has done such a good job there. He's an alumnus. Everybody loves him. I think it would take a string of really three to four consecutive years and to the point where they're getting embarrassed a lot to where I think Northwestern would honestly make a move because they've had other coaches and they've struggled. And so it's you look out there like, who would take that job and honestly do better than a guy who loves it there and wants to be there and has done really well you know, in his previous 10 seasons. Bobby Carpenter, our guest. Uh, while we're in the Big Ten, is there a Big Ten team that is perennially uh, middle of the pack that you think exceeds expectations a bit this year and can play spoiler? You know, I think Maryland has the talent with everybody healthy. They've got Tulea, you know, talking about Loa Tua's brother there. They've got some really talented receivers that are coming back. And the problem is they're in the Big Ten East. So they've got Ohio State, they've got Michigan, they've got Penn State, Michigan State. You know, if they can find a way to maybe split out of those four games, I look at their non-conference, I could see them getting some wins. Maybe they could get to eight wins this year. And I think that'd be a heck of a feat for a Maryland team that you know, Mike Loxley's done a good job there. They started off fast last year and then got decimated by injuries. So I like Maryland to be able to have some success in Minnesota is another team in the West that, you know, last year they were decimated by injuries at the running back spot. They've got Muhammad Ibrahim back who tore his Achilles week one. The last season was the returning leading rusher in the Big Ten. And then they have Tanner Morgan at quarterback for like the seventh year. So experience matters. They coach him well up front. You know, he doesn't, PJ Fleck calls the good game. They're always a complete team. Don't beat themselves. So I'd say those are kind of my two teams that you look in the middle of the pack that could maybe make a little more of a push. And I think Minnesota could be a dark horse to potentially win the West. Maryland is playing at Charlotte this year. What I don't understand the schedule makers here, five years in advance or whatever it is, instead of playing just in paying the opponent, they'll do these two at home, one on the road, and try to have it even out for the, the non-Power 5 school. Vanderbilt's doing it with Northern Illinois. Uh, I've seen Mississippi State play MTSU uh, here in town. It makes no sense to me. For a conference member like Vandy is getting upwards of sixty million plus in years to come just to be in the conference. Maryland's going to get a hundred million plus annually whenever this new TV deal kicks in. I would abolish going on the road and being a, a more or less a bowl game for these lesser than schools and the team getting up and playing their best 
against a, a Big Ten or SEC opponent at home. You also forgot about this. I believe North Carolina is going to uh, App State as well, either week oh. one or week two, somewhere early in the season. So, And that, that's a North Carolina team that has some questions, and it's an App State school that is generally pretty good, and they're always ready to go for big-time games. And I don't know if it's the group of five schools that are saying, hey, we're not going to schedule you unless we get one back on the road. I like it. But that's really tough for a school like Vanderbilt, a school like North Carolina, a school like Maryland, where it's like, hey, you know what? You're pretty darn good. You think you might be able to make a run, but you're playing a team. Like Charlotte's one thing. It's like, But if you're North Carolina playing App State, like that is a, that's a nightmare waiting to happen. I mean, if you're Vanderbilt going to Northern Illinois and they're returning 16 starters at home, I mean, that's a nightmare waiting to happen. And so if you're the coach, that's not doing them any favors when you get in those situations. And I don't know what the driver of it is because you have to think they bring in plenty of revenue at a home game. But, you know, maybe it's not as much as we think. And maybe those schools are really pushing back. They only push back against the teams that suck in their conference. Tennessee and Florida and, and Alabama's not going on the road to face, you know, uh, Western Kentucky. Yeah, that's 100%. I mean, Alabama very rarely takes road games. They'll play some neutral site, but you know, that's that's all saving. And when you're the big dog, you can afford to do that. Maybe, I, I said, everybody's getting so much money now, maybe that'll start to change. And like the one that you put, pointed out, I mean, they make these schedules five to ten years in advance, so maybe that plays into it too. Yeah, perception's reality. I like whenever the underdog gets to host one of these big schools, personally being from one of those non-Power 5 uh, athletic programs. But at the same time, it makes no sense to me why you have coaches with jobs on the line that inherit schedules and they're on the road uh, at Hawaii and at Northern Illinois. Uh, it's a bit ridiculous. Uh, Bobby, you always bring it, man. We appreciate it. Thank you to uh, – you always uh, have uh, loyalty to the show, whether you're uh, on the lake or working out with Ohio State or just at home recovering from a Kenny Chesney concert. <laughs> and we appreciate that. You're a true, true soldier. You always soldier on, Are Bobby. you still hung over from last week? No, I recovered. I mean, okay. I've got some more stuff going on this week, so it's uh, <laughs> going to be a little rough, but I think I'll be able to take care of it. All right, good luck. I love it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, at bcarp3 on Twitter. I, I had some things going on this week I had to prepare for, so no, guys, I'm good. Thank you, though. Uh, always great. Coming up, uh, we get into a sports television recommendation that Withrow has for us. I'm eager to hear about this. Get ready. That's next on so Outkick 360. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Seahawks and Cowboys tonight. Final preseason game for both teams there on NFL Network. Braves and Cardinals are on Major League Baseball Network, although I think it'll probably be blacked out here, and it's on Bally Sports. Bally's, yep. And uh, Yankees Athletics on Amazon Prime. Speaking of sports and channels and recommendations, Chad? So there is a new show that just launched on Hulu and FX on Wednesday night. It is a 30-minute episodic docuseries that's going to be 18 episodes. 
and I know Colin, who's our resident soccer guy here, and Paul will get, be more excited than most. Welcome to Wrexham is the name of this. And it is Ryan Reynolds, the Hollywood star, and Rob McElhaney, most notably from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, one of the writers and stars of that show, also on Mythic Quest, which is a very underrated comedy show as Good well. Show. Um, these guys bought a fifth division Welsh soccer club. And he, it's their journey trying to get them promoted to get back in the four-tier structure of English soccer. So it's Premier League at the top, and then there's championship or whatever, and it goes down to they're below that into almost a semi-pro realm with this Wrexham, this club in this uh, city in, in uh, Wales. It is really well done. And surprisingly, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney, they're not the stars. It's the town that's the star. The players that are interviewed, the guy who owns the local pub that's attached to the oldest soccer stadium in England is a star of this. And it's a fish-out-of-water story. It's almost like they took Ted Lasso and then they blended it with Sunderland Till I Die. And they got this story about two celebrities that know nothing about soccer, that love sports, though, and wanted to help this town and this club, and they bought the team, and it's their journey learning soccer and trying to create a winner in Wrexham in Wales. Highly recommend. I'm one episode in, and it's good. I heard good things about the first episode, and am very curious. And we just finished The Dropout, which is uh, a Hulu series on that um, Elizabeth Holmes and that Theranos scam, which I also recommend. So we're looking for something new. This will be it. I think they're going to drop two episodes uh, a week. So the first and second episodes available on Hulu right now. On the 31st next week, two more episodes will drop, and it'll be nine straight weeks of two episodes dropping. It's an 18-episode first season, and they're recording the second season already now. I might stall a little bit because I get yelled at when we find something good. And we reach the end, and she's like, "Why aren't my, my wife says, why don't we keep going? And I say, well, there are no more episodes out currently. And yeah. So I might wait until we have a good backlog. We've hit a real lull as well, where there's just not... We're, I'm watching a Lakers docuseries, <laughs> and now this Welcome to Wrexham right now. No scripted shows other than waiting on House of Dragon on Sunday night. I like the sound of this. Coming up, details of what led to Aaron Donald's fight yesterday that was documented from the end zone view by a fan deleted and then someone captured the screenshot screen video and re, uh, retweeted it out and it became the, the viral sensation of yesterday afternoon we will uh, detail who was involved other than Donald and look ahead to the weekend's matchups in college football next on Outkick 360